welcome to episode 15 of the Civil War Breakfast Club podcast. I'm Darren Weeks, joined as usual by co-host, the lovely goddess of Goderich, Mary Fincher. How are you, Mary? <laughs> oh, thank you for that wonderful and, and greeting, be- Darren. <laughs> before we start, since we're watching the Battlefield videos, I have to say, Mary is wearing her black shirt. She's standing in front of a poster in the basement of her room. She's sitting on a brown chair. She is wearing glasses, and she's wearing a white headset. <laughs> Inside joke. <laughs> and Darren Weeks is sitting in his chair in his basement with a green screen behind him and a shirt that says Billy Goat on it, which I'm sure we will get to in this episode, and American Battlefields Trust hat, which just hooks up with some awesome swag on Friday night. Yeah. Before we get started with this stupid thing we do, we do have to represent and appreciate the good folks, the American Battlefield Trust, because they hook us up with some swag this week, Mary, and something was very unexpected, which is really, really cool. And I know we both appreciate it because they are great people. Yeah, so thank you so much to the uh, the ABT. Yep, it was really awesome of them to hit us up with that swag. I'm happy to say that I will soon have a new license plate cover for my vehicle. God, me too. Yeah. Mine is going to be better, though. Well, whatever. I'm going to get rid of that thing I have on there now, which is OSU, so bye. No, American Battlefields Trust, though, they are really, really awesome. They are a great follow on all platforms of social media. I would definitely recommend them on Twitter, Facebook. I believe they're on Instagram, too. And they have a YouTube channel with lots of uh, really awesome videos on there, including I mean, one I mean, about the battle that one of the battles we're going to talk about tonight, Lookout Mountain, which is no. Gary Edelman. Yeah. Oh, I know. No, I know that. I think anybody who watches this thing probably knows about the American Battlefield yeah. Trust and knows about their videos. But but they do a great job. We certainly appreciate okay. that. Anyway, so, Mary, I know we got to get started <laughs> with some business first. Yeah. So before we get into the Battle of Chattanooga, Part de, we will talk about what we are drinking. So what are you drinking up there in the great north, Mary um, Fincher? Well, I'm starting off with Life in the Clouds by Collective Arts Brewery, which is a, a double dry hopped IPA. Mm. And I thought that was appropriate since we were talking about the battle above the clouds, Lookout Mountain tonight. Drinking mm-hmm. it out of my Sherman mug because he is going to be part of tonight's episode. And my second beer is Alora Borealis Pale Ale. And I picked it because it has a full moon on it. The night of the Battle of Lookout Mountain, there was a full moon and an eclipse. How can you have a full moon and an eclipse? There was an eclipse that night. There was an eclipse, which would be a not in anything. Well, it doesn't matter. No, but there was a full moon. Okay. Look, I'm no paleontologist. I'll take your word for it, okay? (laughs) I'm just going by what I read in the Claiborne Bible. I know, I know. Anyway, so speaking of the escape in Chattanooga, I am drinking the Escape Plan, which is by Trillium, a local Boston beer here, which is fantastic. It says the North overcome that horrible loss at Chickamauga. I'm drinking out of my North Civil War Champions mug. So there we go. And I don't want to give away the ending for Chattanooga here, but I think um, the people in North will be happy with the uh, out-of-town scoreboard when this one is off. You know, last week we talked about the beginning of this, which mm-hmm. we certainly did. And now we're going to kind of finish up the meat and potatoes of this battle, as they say. You know, yeah, we're going to talk about the mountain and Missionary Ridge. But I think let's jump on the Wayback Machine for a few minutes here before we put a bow on the first episode. Okay, let's talk about how the last one ended to set up the action-packed story that we're going to get to tonight. Why don't you do the honors on this one since you finished oh so strong last week? <laughs> okay, well, so last week we obviously talked about the battles that lead up to the battles for Chattanooga. The first one being Brown's Ferry, which is where they open up the cracker line to bring food down for the troops because the Union Army at this time is only living on quarter rations. 
we spoke about the Battle of Wahachi, and then that led into Orchard Knob, and we left off by mentioning the telegram or the orders that Hooker had received from General Thomas to do a demonstration on Lookout Mountain because Osterhaus or Osterhaus, as you learned today, it could also be pronounced, right? I heard Oosterhaus. Oosterhaus. So um, since we pronounce it all three ways, no one can give a shit for it. So yeah. save your emails because one of the ways is right. So Unless you're German it. and then you can tell us how to pronounce it properly. No, kind of like yeah. Schimmelfenning, right? Which I probably don't say. Schimmelfenning? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've talked before about sometimes in battles – is you know you got two good armies you got to get lucky this is a case where we talked before about heading into this grant had a plan we'll talk about here in a few minutes sometimes you know you stumble into the best of luck so grant as you mentioned he had a plan where sherman was going to attack the right of missionary ridge the tunnel hill billy Billy goat Goat. we talk about okay (laughs) billy goat's not a good thing in this case it's not. The plan, obviously, is he's going to have Sherman attack at the north of Missionary Ridge. Thomas is ultimately going to attack the middle, and he's going to have Hooker do a demonstration on Lookout Mountain. Demonstration yeah. we talked about is make a lot of noise. Yeah, just Fire distract, all your distract guns. Bragg, distract right. Bragg and, while Sherman is doing his thing down at the north end. Right. Demonstration what? can be turned into an attack if the right situation is there. Yeah. And so ultimately, that's basically what happens. So we'll get into the overall thing, but you know, to talk about the overall plan of what it was. So we talked before about how Grant's attitude was towards certain people, but it's going to come out again tonight. So, so you grant people, I'm not going to hold on to your pearls <laughs> for this one. Okay. Hooker's coming off of the issue at Chancellorsville and he, now he's back in the army again. And he's, he, it seems to me like he's trying to earn his chops again, right? Grant is probably looks at him kind of like, Oh God, here we go. I can't put this guy in charge of anything mm-hmm. legit because of what happened. So he tells him to go to Lookout Mountain and go make a demonstration. He tells him, and I quote, take the point of the mountain only if your demonstration should develop as practicability. So I'd say, okay, just go up there, fire the guns. Nothing's going to happen. You're not going to get yourself in any trouble. So Hooker goes, okay, that sounds good. He turns to John Geary, one of his division guys, and says, hey, I want you to cross Lookout Creek and assault Lookout Mountain, marching down the valley. And I want you to sweep every rebel from it. So he goes full YOLO. Oh, yeah. He says, fuck it. Originally, with the original plan, where Osterhaus is supposed to meet up with Sherman and that doesn't happen. Because that doesn't happen, that gives Uh Hooker 10,000 men. And Hooker's like, I got the men. And he goes back to Grant. And then Grant, through Thomas, gives him that order. Yeah. The demonstration to say, like, you can do more than a demonstration but do not bring on a full-on engagement, basically. It's amazing how often you hear this in, in this, this war, oh, yeah. it's, that it's same just phrase. Like, it's, it's, just, it's just like Gettysburg, right? But like, yeah. so he's got the men to do it. And I think he realizes, well, fuck it. Like, why, why am I just going to demonstrate and distract Bragg? Well, Sherman's doing his thing, which it turns out, as we're going to discuss, it's a good thing that Hooker did what he did to drive Bragg off it was important, and it takes a little bit of luck because we talked about the pontoon boats they put around yeah. Brown's Ferry. These things aren't la- built to last forever, probably, you know, but what happens is Osterhaus, as you, to your point, is supposed to join, join Sherman. Yeah. The pontoon boats sink, and he can't get back across the river. So he's like, well, Grant says, well, okay, whatever. He tells, he tells Thomas, Thomas says, well, t- you're gonna, we're going to take Osterhaus, we're going to put him with Hooker. So now Hooker, to your point, has got a bunch more guys. Mm-hmm. So now Hooker says, hmm, I've got your demonstration right here. That's what he says to him. He's going to go full banana on Lookout Mountain. And I think we'll talk more about in detail of Lookout Mountain here in a minute. 
But I have to think, Mary, that this is some sort of legit opportunity for vindication for Hooker. I think he's like, you know what? This is my chance right here to do something legitimate. I think he saw the tactical importance of that mountain. And I think he saw it as an opportunity to get back on the good graces of the Army. Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, too, if he saw what Grant was up to with Sherman. That they're trying to give Sherman the credit, right? That's what the two of them had planned. Sherman was going to do the big assault. And, you know, Thomas is supposed to just be kind of in, you know, help out if needed. And then there's Hooker down at the far end making a demonstration. And Hooker's probably like, well, this is bullshit. Why wouldn't we all just fucking attack? If you can get Bragg off of there, because they're spread out from the north end of Missionary Ridge at Tunnel Hill all the way to Lookout Mountain. So they that's how they were able to, quote-unquote, siege the city, even though it was a half-ass siege. Yeah, and the, the battle line looks like a reverse crescent moon, sort of. That It, it, it hugs along the Tennessee River. Yeah. So for those who don't have the ability to look at a map, Lookout Mountain is at the bottom, and it curls up to Missionary Ridge on the top. Why is Lookout Mountain important? Well, it's 1,400 feet tall, so mm-hmm. it's a big, gigantic thing. You can overlook the entire battlefield. It's near a vital railroad junction. It also protects the entire Tennessee River to that point. So if you if you take control of that, you've got control basically of most of the Tennessee River. You're really going to hamstring the Confederates into staying on that side of the battlefield. Yeah. And so Hooker sees this. So he's happy with the opportunity. One guy who doesn't like the opportunity is his counterpart on the Confederate side, Carter Stevenson. Yeah, because Stevenson doesn't have very many men up there because Mm -hmm. some of his troops have been taken from him by Bragg. So he's left with even less men. And you know why he doesn't like it either, too, is because he's aggressive, right? He's He sees it as a babysitting mission because he knows it's kind of like that scene in Little Round Top and we're at the back door. All the actors take a front at the yep. front, that type of thing. He sees this as a babysitting mission. Now, Carter Stevens, if you remember, he's the only division commander at Vicksburg who voted to fight this, their way out yep. with Pendleton, with Pemberton. He didn't – the other ones, they, they basically said, let's just surrender and get the hell out of here. He said, let's fight our way out. Who knows if it's true if he really meant that. He strikes me as an aggressive guy. So – He's got 86, 8,700 men. Yeah, about 8,700 um, 8, men to, okay. to Hooker's 10,000. So that's, that's, a pretty good, that, that's a pretty good army, yeah, right? He's not, that out, he's not that outnumbered, but still. And, it, you know, there's the, also the train of Lookout Mountain is the lower third of the slopes. They go up ruggedly to a narrow pr- plateau, which is, I believe, that's where Craven's house is, which is going to factor into this battle. And then right. the rest of the two-thirds are steeper slopes. The one thing that I learned when I was at Lookout Mountain, so I'm overlooking the Tennessee River. That's not where the men come up because I was looking at thinking, how the fuck did they do this without being able to fly? They come up on another part, obviously. Real quick, finishing up with Stevenson. So he, he sets up a defensive line, to your point, a Craven's, the Craven's Farm. Yep. Basically, it's about a two-thirds of the way up. It's 100 square acres of flat. It's a lot, it's a lot of room. And so that's the place where they're going to put their defense. There's a flat plateau. It's got a plenty of space for guns. The problem with it is it's exposed to the Union cannon on Moccasin Point. It's exposed mm-hmm. to it. It's right there. And you can shoot right right down there. So they build breastworks up in that area. They clear out a bunch of trees to, to open a line of fire for the Confederates on their defense. And if you think of that mountain, think of the really rocky part of Culp's Hill mm-hmm. or think like that where it's kind of in the middle of nowhere but there's rocks and boulders yeah. everywhere. There's a lot of trees. There's a lot of places to basically hide. The other thing that's going to be a real issue with this battle for both sides is going to be the fog. Foggy day, and we'll talk about that. That morning or that day, the fog is going to cover most of the mountain. It's going to protect pretty much everybody, but it's ultimately going to cause a problem for Stevenson because he's not going to be able to see them coming. And that's mm-hmm. that's going to be that. So going back to Hooker, you mentioned the approach. So he's going to basically take three divisions. He's going to have John Geary, 
Yep. Again, talking 12 core guy. Again, back mentioned Gettysburg. He's got around 2,200 guys. He's going to have Charles Whitaker's brigade of Croft, of uh, Charles Croft is about 1,400. And he's going to have the remaining of Peter Osterhaus of the 15th Corps yeah. of the Army of the Tennessee. So you're talking, you know, you're talking about 10,000 guys. You're talking about a pretty big army. Hooker is going to take Whitaker and Geary from Wahatchee. And what he's going to do is they're going to cross a place called Lights Mill which is right by the water. And they're going to basically have to ford the creek. They can't build it. They tried to, there's stories about how they tried to build little steel wood from houses and try to build these little pontoons that didn't work. Basically had to crawl on their knees across the river where it was low because they didn't want to expose their heads to the, to the Confederate mm-hmm. fire. So picture dudes walking on their knees across the river holding their guns. That's how they finally get over there. Um, you're going to have Gase and Osterhaus who are going to cross look around Lookout Creek. The game plan is it's we're all going to meet at Craven's house. It's kind of like a football huddle. I'll say, let's, let's meet at the quarterback. Let's go. That's where they're going to go. They know the Confederate guys are there. The other thing that Hooker does really, really well with this is he sets up the artillery perfectly. So he's going to have nine batteries of artillery north on Lookout Creek. He's going to set up two guns right of Moccasin Bend, which right straight view of the Craven house. Yep. And two more in Chattanooga Creek. So they're going to have artillery cover throughout this battle as well. So the rebels are going to hear the guns and see the artillery coming in, but they don't see anybody coming. That's going to be a big issue. So 9 o'clock, they start marching, Mary. A.M. on the 24th, which is exactly 157 years ago today. It is, yep. So at this time, they've got the mountain. The lunar eclipse is out at this time, Mary. It is, yep. And there's actually, I think, is it David Ireland, was he at Gettysburg? Because he's... He was. He was yeah. at 137 New York at Culp's yep. Hill. He was yep. the opposite end of Joshua Chamberlain. He was at the um, the other side. Yeah, because he's here at this. Now, the one thing that they do is they advance, is there had been this rock wall constructed by the Confederates. And the Confederates, mm-hmm. when they see the Union Army, they start scrambling for that, that rock wall. But it's not working in their favor. No. Nope. Because... It had been constructed to resist a direct attack from below, and with the position that the Union troops are in, they're able to just go go at them. Yeah, and so you have you mentioned Ireland. You're also going to have a guy named George Cobham. Again, this is Hooker's guys. This is Gary's division. They're going to be going up against a guy named Edward Walfall. Kind of a fun name to say, Walfall. Yeah, Walfall. Just like saying it, just like saying it. You know? Did you know, Mary? He would be the fu- a future senator from Mississippi. I did read that when I was. Yeah, pretty cool. So he's gonna. Yeah. So sorry, people. You know, he survives the battle. So spoiler alert, right there. They're outnumbered four to one, so they're gonna get pushed back pretty quick. They're gonna fall all the way back to Craven's house. So yeah. the original lines gave about two to three hundred yards away from this Craven house. Now Craven house is got Robert Craven. He owned a big farm set up. There must have been a great. Perhaps the property values of that place, Mary. Oh yeah, and I think it's still there. Well, they, the soldiers after the battle burnt the house down for wood. Oh, right. That's so the right foundations too. was original, but they rebuilt yep. the house on the old foundation. But the soldiers that night would have destroyed the house. That's where, like, Walthall wants to make his basically his last stand mm-hmm. at Craven's house. But the Union come in, and they do manage to get the artillery that they have there. I don't think they have very much artillery. The, the Confederates don't have very much artillery set up there, but the Union managed to take it when they do. Right, they were, they were able to get the guns, and big benefactor we mentioned before about the fog was the fact they didn't know who was coming, they didn't know where they were coming from. Now, you, you mentioned, like, when you were there, you were looking over the edge, you assumed they were going to come straight up. They came around from the west coming east up that slope. This is around, around lunchtime. So Ireland and Cobb at this point are hitting Edward Walthall. A little bit later, you've got Candy, another guy from the 12th Corps. Mm-hmm. His brigade is basically going to clear out the Rebs from Lookout Creek down to that the lower area. You're going to have Woods and, uh, and Groves' brigades. Yep, they're going up the slope. W- William Groves and 
in Charles Woods. They're, they're basically going up the slope, mm-hmm. and they basically catch the 34th Mississippi sleep, and they, they basically bag all of them, a full, full-on surrender. You mentioned before how they were on this platform. It's 100 acres, and it's clear. Mm-hmm. The Union guys down in Moccasin Point can't see up there. So they're firing, they're firing, they're firing. Finally, the feds get up there and they're like, shit, they won't fucking stop firing. So they finally have to fire off some signal guns saying, yeah. hey, look at us, stop. And they finally do that just to stop the guns. <laughs> they, they, can you imagine that? You make it all the way up that mountain and some artillery guy fires and blows you up. That's that, that the fuck I would have, actually, Mary. That would suck. But the rebels aren't done yet, though. You got a guy named John Moore who's going to basically send a message to a guy named John Jackson. Yeah. Um, Jackson fucks up. Well, he does. He certainly does. And he was basically one of one of Cheatham's guys in, in, in Hardy's Corps. They're, they're going to end up in a situation where he needs help. And so he's going to get a message from Moore. He, he wants guys, okay? John Moore apparently must have gone to the Rosecrans School of Following Directions because he, <laughs> he sends a message to John Jackson. Yeah. And says, hey, um, I don't know where we're supposed to go. And Jackson's like, are you shitting me? I told everybody we are going to meet at Defend the Craven House. That you had one job. That's where you're supposed to go. Yep. So he's pissed. So he gets him back up there. Now it's kind of a, it's a shit show. You can't see what you're shooting at. You're getting outnumbered. Stevenson basically orders Edwin Pettis, another guy, another general, to come and get Jackson. And this is this is when you start to see David Ireland kind of take over a little bit too. So he's going to yep. basically attack. He's going to he's going to get pretty far to that stone wall you mentioned. He runs into more thousand guys, but he eventually is going to run out of gas. And then it's kind of a push and take for a little while. You, you got Whitaker again. He's going to go right over Ireland. Think of you know, think of the Trossel Woods at the wheat fields. Mm-hmm. You know, just guys laying down, I'm tired, go right over me type thing. You've got Whitaker who's going into the attack now. You've got Gross and you got Woods. So you're pushing the Confederates back now. So so more falls back. And now it's a complete mess because you got the fog going on. And now Hooker's getting concerned because he's like, this army is all over the place. They're running around. No one can see yeah. what they're shooting at. It's a complete shit show. The ground is foggier than Mary's head on a Friday night. So they so <laughs> they don't know what they don't know what's they don't know what's going on. So Hooker basically is getting is getting a little concerned that they're getting intermingled. So they ultimately do push the Rebs off of Craven House and back down to the eastern yes. slope of Lookout Mountain. At that point, the position is untenable. Now, now they're pretty much done. Some of the stuff they talk about, there's some cool stories with the fog. The soldiers would shoot the muskets. And because of the lighting, because it was getting later in the afternoon, because of the lighting, it would light them. So it would illuminate them. So they shoot the muskets. And the fire from the gun would light like a like yeah. a flash on a camera, and it would expose them until the light dissipated. And the fog kind of made it worse. So it's almost like these ghost images of these shots going going fire all over the place, which sounds pretty cool. That is um, actually, yeah. You know, the Rebs ultimately are going to fall back. Some of the French soldiers keep pushing. They, they finally make it to the top, and that's where you get that great story of the 8th Kentucky. Yeah. When they make it to the very top of the slope in an Iwo Jima-style situation, yep. they raise their they raise their Kentucky flag. And, yeah. And both armies can see this now. You've got the Confederates and the Union. They see a northern a northern flag is, is at the peak. So, and then you get that quote from Megs, who's watching from Orchard Knob, and he calls the battle the battle above the clouds. If you look at the painting that Joe Hooker had commissioned after the battle, Lookout mm-hmm. Mountain is just like shrouded in this fog, 
And when I was in Chattanooga two years ago, I was going for dinner at this one brewery and I was in this one parking garage at Sea Lookout Mountain and it was shrouded in fog, just like it was in that painting. And I just imagined that that was what it looked like on that day. So I got a couple good pictures of it. It was so cool to see it like that. Like it was at the perfect vantage point to take a photo of it. And it was really, really neat to see it. And I was like, that's why they call it the Battle Above the Clouds. It's a show me that picture one of these days. I don't think I've I've had the pleasure, Mary. I thought I sent Um, that to you. Um, um, That would be wrong. And it's around seven o'clock that like sunset this time of year Mm -hmm. that that hooker they're not completely off the mountain yet but he's pretty confident that he's got it and he had been back and forth all day with grant sending different messages like saying i'm okay oh wait i'm not i'm running out of ammunition could have been this kind of sending mixed messages to grant but that night he sends a message to grant in all probability the enemy will evacuate tonight his line of retreat is seriously threatened by my troops can you imagine how happy Hooker must have been at that moment. Yeah, that that must any that you know that's kind of the, like, the ultimate you, like PS fuck you SMB. I don't, Mary. I don't know if the union set up a camp up there, but someone definitely pitched a tent up there. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's okay, probably because it was Hooker, Hooker with his his sky barn. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Hooker must have been so excited because. You know, you look at the strategic importance of it. You know, we'll talk about that in a few minutes about the issues with Lookout Mountain and stuff like that. He wins a battle that he, he he knows he has to win. A couple important things about this. We're going to talk about Grant here in a minute. We're going to we got to we got to get to Grant. He secured control of the Tennessee River by winning Lookout Mountain. He secured the Chattanooga Railroad by winning Look, Lookout Mountain. He endangered the entire Confederate line by getting up there because now he's yeah. right in the high ground on their flank. Bragg is mortified at this loss. I mean, he's, you gotta be shitting me type of loss. He sits down with this council of war to determine what to do next. He's got Hardy, who says, let's get the fuck out of here. And he's got Breckenridge, who's like. And he's got Breckenridge, who flexes his muscle and says, nope. We're gonna fucking do it. Let's get our asses to Missionary Ridge, strengthen up, and let's Mm -hmm. beat them. Yeah. And Bragg's like, it's an important thing. We're gonna talk about the grand thing now, I suppose. Years later, Grant, who who we talked before, has had issues with Rosecrans, had issues with a bunch of guys. Yeah, he kind of they say he throws cold water on this battle as an understatement. So they ask him about the importance of Lookout Mountain as far as the Chattanooga campaign after the battle. And it was years later. It might even be when he was president. Actually, it was it was some time afterwards. He says the Battle of Lookout Mountain is one of those romances of the war. There was no such battle and no such action worthy to be called a battle. It is all poetry. That's some hard words, okay? Here's the thing. You've got 19,000 guys fighting in this battle, okay? Mm-hmm. You've got 670 Union casualties. You've got about 1,200 Confederate casualties. Yeah. That's about 2,000 casualties. That's not a battle, right? How many men were yeah. on Fort Donaldson? I mean, I don't know. I'm just guessing. I'm, yeah. But it was probably bigger, but this is a battle, Oh, it absolutely it, right? is. It's part of the battles for Chattanooga. And yeah. I think it was at the time considered a battle, but it didn't factor into what Grant and Sherman wanted out of this, which was Sherman. He fucks up, as we're going to talk about soon, on the 24th. Ooh, Mary Murphy. Oh, stop the presses. Well, he does. Mm-hmm. And like John Geary, when he wrote of this battle, now, mind you, he's the one leading the assault. The orders given by Hooker, he said, I've been the, been the instrument of Almighty God. I stormed what was considered the inaccessible heights of Lookout Mountain. I captured it. The feat will be celebrated until time shall be no more. So he's thinking, and this is probably what a lot of them thought, like this has been an amazing thing. But Grant downplays it. He's got something what? against Hooker. 
but when he talks about the rest of the battle, it's very vague. Let me ask you this. This is not, I, I don't know this. I'm, I'm just going to, let's just throw this out there. We'll do a little conversation here sitting at okay. the bar, the City yeah. War Breakfast Club Tavern here. Why do you think he had the issue with him? Like, you know, we talked about the issue with Rosecrans last time about how he kind of got dicked over, thrown to the bus yeah. at the, at the Yuga battle. What do you think the issue was with, the, with these guys in your opinion? I think it's a lot of just ego that happens with, with being in the army. Now, I mean, you've got two people coming from the East, Hooker and Howard, who both need redemption after Chancellorsville. Mm-hmm. Howard kind of flies under the radar and he earns the respect of Sherman. He does quite well at these battles. I mean, admittedly for Missionary Ridge, he is kind of off in the background. He's not really called up for that. But I mean, he's he's part of Wahatchee. But Hooker's got... I think probably a worse reputation than Howard does at this point. And I think there was just some kind of rivalry there. And also probably the fact that Grant had told Hooker, you know, don't do this. And then Hooker's like, fuck it. I'm, I'm doing it. You know, I'm deeming it practicable to take that and drive these men off. And I think it just didn't factor into how Grant thought the day was going to go. Like who knows what was going on? I don't think we'll ever know, but I just know from reading the accounts of the 24th, you know, Sherman doesn't really talk much about Lookout Mountain and neither does Grant. I wonder, you you made a good point this morning, believe it or not, okay? You made a good point. Picture a basketball game Mm -hmm. where you point to the guy and say, tonight you're going to be the star. Everyone yep. passed the ball to Fincher. Okay. She's going to score yeah. a bunch of points. You wonder if this is a, well, you're five foot nine. You wouldn't be the one we picked, but let's, let's play along. I'm, trying to I'm five foot nine. No, I think you're five foot. Oh yeah. Five foot nine, please. Anyway. You said five foot nine. I said, I said five foot four. I heard, Anyways. I heard nine. Well, we'll find out in the editing. I, said, I, hear, I hear a nine in there. I wonder if it's a situation where this is preordained, where, Sherman was going to get the glory with this I one. I think so. This is your point. This is my point. This is your point. I think you're mm-hmm. right. I think I think he went into this, and you know, he was. He mentioned before that the only two people he would ever serve under would be Rosecrans, but not anymore with that. Yeah. But Sherman was the other one. Yeah. They had their history at Shiloh. They had history off the outside of the army together about helping themselves with their own personal issues, whether being drunk or being crazy. So you think that he had this opportunity? This is going to be Sherman's day, and I don't. I can't imagine Grant would ever hurt or weaken his army. That's not what I'm saying. Yep. But I think in a perfect world, they would have demonstrated on the left. It would have pulled some troops from Bragg over with, with Stevenson. They would have put more guys over. Maybe he would have pulled, you know, Hardy over. Maybe would, who knows what he would pull. Who would have strengthened that part of the line. And then Sherman would have come right down and just cruise right the missionary ridge. That's probably what he was thinking. Just a guess. Well, who knows? But that's just a guess. I think that pretty much how it was meant to go. But obviously it didn't, you know, because as I think we're now going to get into what's happening with Sherman on the 24th while Hooker is taking Lookout Mountain. So Sherman has the opportunity, perhaps, for some real glory here, okay? He's given the opportunity. So what happens? So on the 24th, Sherman is to go to the north end of Missionary Ridge also a place called Tunnel Hill. So Tunnel Hill, just to talk about what, just briefly what the importance is of to that, it is the Confederate's right. Am I getting that correct? Right, you bet it. Where Lookout Mountain is the left, and it's very important for how high up it is, its positioning. Tunnel Hill is equally as important. So that's why Grant has sent Sherman over to Tunnel Hill. Through faulty intelligence, reading maps wrong, not getting scouts, and I think just, I think Sherman's ego might have got the better of him here. I know I'm being a little bit critical of him, but... You know, 2019 I, Mary would be heartbroken if she heard I, it. I know, Isn't I that know, something but, how you I know but I think <laughs> there's pontoons involved again. So after midnight, they start sending men over in the Tennessee River, 
and they go to the South Bank and they capture the rebel pickets that are there. And then eventually everybody gets across. Bragg is basically ignoring what's going on here at this point because he's focused on Lookout Mountain and what's going on there. So what Hooker is supposed to be doing with distracting him is working at this point. So then Sherman gets to what he thinks is the north end of Missionary Ridge, and he began entrenching, even though the orders are to attack and capture the north end. So he's slowing down even now. And Grant knew this, but he doesn't seem to be phased by it. But around 11.20 in the morning on the 24th, he's getting a little bit impatient. He sends Sherman a telegram that's basically, dude, what the fuck are you, what are you you up to, um... Does there seem to be a force there to receive you? Send me word what can be done to aid you, because he's heard nothing at this point. I don't think anybody really knows what Sherman was doing at this point. Should have sent him a candy gram. (laughs) Pick me up bouquet. Yeah, good one. (laughs) (laughs) So then around one on the afternoon of the 24th, Sherman starts ordering in advance. So they start advancing. And this is when Bragg and Hardy finally realize what's happening. So then two couriers get sent to Claiborne who's like, probably at this point, he's watching what's happening over on what is called Billy Goat Hill, where Sherman is. Claiborne goes to see Hardy, and he's told that he's got to start really watching them, and Bragg tells him he's got to protect the railway, because there's a railway near Tunnel Hill that the Confederates absolutely have to protect. At the National and Chattanooga Railroad right there. Yep. So around three o'clock, Sherman's leading elements scale the uppermost points of what they think is Missionary Ridge, and General Joseph Lightburn gets up there. This is what he wrote. Upon arriving at the summit, I perceived it not to be the hill specified in the order. <laughs> so we have the ultimate, uh-oh, and it doesn't involve Howard. <laughs> you know, he just saw the guy who didn't ask for directions, Mary. That, this is what this is all about here. <laughs> They're on v- Billy Goat Hill, which a valley separates them from the north end of Missionary Ridge where they need to be. So for whatever reason, faulty maps, faulty intelligence, just not wanting to stop and ask for directions, i.e. getting a local guide to maybe direct you in the area you might want to be going. Yeah, that's a surprise, actually. They didn't get a guide. That's a real surprise. I'm not they could sure. have asked the Rosewoods clown. He probably would have helped him out. <laughs> So they're up on Billy Goat Hill. So in Sherman, when he figures this out, he seems not really too phased by it. And he's like, okay, this is good ground and we need to hold it. Mm-hmm. This is at 3.30 in the afternoon. There's still a lot of, there's still enough light left in the day. And right, meanwhile, all the action's going on at Lookout Mountain this time. Exactly, so they yeah. Can, he, they, so, Grant, so Grant is standing on Orchard Knob and he can see and hear, probably hear the guns going on. And he probably knows it's a big deal. Yeah. So you wonder what's going through his head as Sherman is kind of deciding what he's going to be doing here, right? Yeah, exactly. And the other thing, too, so at this time, like, the Confederates have realized what Sherman's up to, and they don't know what he's going to do. They know what Sherman, so they're probably thinking, fuck. We... And so this is Claiborne <laughs> at the north end of Missionary Ridge. So he gets the Texans led by – what is Smith's first name? It's Smith's Texans. It was James Smith. Yeah, James, James Smith. Smith. So James, yeah. James Smith – thank you. James Smith's Texans are positioned there, but they're stretched very thin. And Claiborne is very worried at this point because if Sherman attacks, Claiborne knows he's going to be fucked because he doesn't. Well, that's the whole, that's the story there. of the whole thing. That Claiborne, this I mean, is, yeah, this is it, right? Go they, ahead. They, I mean, Bragg say? knows because Bragg, don't forget Bragg sends Longstreet to Knoxville, right? Yeah. He wishes he had all those guys back again because now his line is very, very thin. Now he's going to get a bunch of guys back from Carter Stevenson who's going to get pushed to the east to Missionary Ridge, but he's still thin. And we're going to talk about some strategic mistakes of placing his guys uh, on Missionary Ridge here in a few minutes. But as we go into the battle, as we turn to the 25th, which we all know, Mary, is the greatest day of the year, November 25th, Ooh, which is it tomorrow. It absolutely is. Happy it birthday. It is. Ooh. 
Oh, thank you so much. There, I just gave it away. It's his birthday tomorrow. You're the first birthday. person to wish me happy birthday this oh, year, Mary. Happy birthday. I'll wish yeah. it to you again tomorrow, too. <laughs> Sherman's men, they fire on the Texans, and it doesn't do anything because they're so far away at this point. Can't kill um, a Texan, Mary. No. Can't do it. Kidding. Can't do it. Um, because Sherman doesn't attack like Claiborne thinks he's going to, like I said, Claiborne's men spread out very, very thinly, and Sherman just stalls. And well, Claiborne's waiting for an attack. And this is what allows him to fortify his lines. But the thing is, is that if Sherman had attacked, it could have all been over. And that's what both Powell in his book about Missionary Ridge, as well as Simmons in his biography about Patrick Claiborne, they both say that there's, the lines are stretched out so thin that if the Union had went forward at that time, they could have taken Tunnel Hill. Yeah. I mean, we see how many, how many battles can we we see that with though? Yeah. But this is, but this is one with Flipson of the twenty fifth. We'll talk more about the details of it though. My own personal opinion is, for whatever reason, Sherman thought Bragg was going to attack, and he mm-hmm. was thinking defense had to have been because you when we look at the, how this battle proceeds, he ultimately only attacks Kleber with thirty percent of his army, thirty mm-hmm. percent. Now, for Mary Math, that's three of ten. <laughs> Mary, okay? That means for every 10 people, only three went. So he basically tries to beat Claiborne, who I think we both agree is probably the best Confederate soldier on this battlefield. He's the Confederate MVP of this battle. Right? With, and he is. And one arm behind his back, he tries to do it. So yeah. Grant's plan again, the grand plan is he's going to basically concentrate Sherman and Thomas versus Bragg's right flank on Missionary Ridge. Mm-hmm. He still sees a demonstration for, you know, for Hooker on the left-hand side. Yeah. Um, he, he places Sherman, he has him cross the Tennessee River, he's going to occupy Billy Goat Hill and Tunnel Hill and threaten their right side of the Confederate line. This is while in concert with Hooker still demonstrating to keep Bragg's troops, probably Stevenson, mm-hmm. uh, maybe some of Hardy's guys, more towards Lockhart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just speculating. That's probably what, that's probably what they were doing. Yeah. We're, you know, we're, we're in the early part of the 25th now, okay? You see a lot of the miscommunications starting between Thomas and Grant now, right? Mm-hmm. So 25th in the morning, it comes out. Hooker is to, you know, he's demonstrating that that's what he was supposed to do. Yeah, He's still up there on Lookout Mountain, and that's where Grant wants him. Thomas is like, fuck that. I need him here. Mm-hmm. Get him down Rossville Gap, which is yep. just on the south side of Missionary Ridge. We, I want him to attack the south part of Missionary Ridge, according to George Thomas. That's what That's what he wants to do. The plan at that point is Sherman's going to att- begin his attack, you mentioned, with Thomas and Howard, your boy OO, okay, <laughs> right at daybreak, right yeah. first thing in the morning, right? What happens? Daybreak comes and nothing, and, and nothing go on. Can I back up a little bit and talk about of what course. Claiborne was doing during the night? So during the night, Claiborne, when he realizes that Sherman's not going to attack, he's waiting and waiting and waiting for orders from Bragg. And finally, he says to one of his staff, uh, Captain Irving Buck, he says, go find out what the fuck's going on. Buck is gone for hours, and it's after midnight when he finally gets back, because he was waiting for them to get done this, whatever council of war they were having. So Hardy comes out and tells Buck, tell Claiborne we are to fight, that his division will undoubtedly be heavily attacked, and that he must do his very best. So basically, it's like, just tell him to do his best. So by light of this full moon, so this is before the eclipse happens, Claiborne supervises the placement of all his artillery. This is after mm-hmm. midnight. So then his line is going to be kind of like a hairpin echelon. Am I getting that right? You can you can call it a salient. 
salient. Not, it's okay not to call it salient. 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 Salient's a bad word. I know. I know. Dan Sickles. I know. But it I was, just I'm going by how Simmons described it. I know. It, it's, it is what it is. They're trying to be um, nice, but it's it was a salient. Yeah, and so then as Hardy and Claiborne are out riding, that's when the eclipse happens. But Claiborne is up, like basically fortifying his lines, but he knows that his troops probably don't have a chance, but at least he can make things tough for Sherman. So then fast forward to where Darren and I left off before I went, before I backtracked a little bit. It's well, no, Dawn I'm glad you, to be an attack. Well, I'm and glad you mentioned that because it's important to know what they were going up against. So we were gonna, I knew we were going to go back. There, I just wanted <laughs> to kind of set up a little bit what was going on. So this attack's supposed to happen right at dawn. And yep. that's when most of these attacks are supposed to happen. And if I were a general and I'm saying attack at dawn, I'm, at this point, I'm like, it's not going to happen because every battle yeah. never happens. But that's, that's what happens. So yeah. Sherman's finally finally gets rolling around nine o'clock in the morning. Let's spend yeah. a long line at, the, at that Starbucks over there and look at my That's probably what it was. Okay. One looks like a castle, right? And um, even then it's just squirmishing. <laughs> just exactly. So so he's getting his pumpkin latte at the at the uh the Starbucks up there. At this point Grant's pissed, right? He's gotta be pissed. Yeah. This is supposed to start at dawn. It doesn't happen. You're talking about what about sixteen, fifteen thousand guys for Sherman at this point, and you're talking about Claiborne's got about, about four thousand guys. Claiborne overall. is outnumbered four to one at this battle. Right. So and that's like, about, yeah, it's about four to one, right? It's, it's around eleven that they start. They finally start getting to the battle. Yeah. So he's going to attack with just two brigades, okay, from Ewing's division, right there at the point, okay. It's going to be a guy named John Course from Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so you know he's probably a Steeler fan, so you know he's disappointed usually, right? And a guy named John Loomis. They're going to be attacking from the north side. They're going to be going right across open fields against Claiborne. Actually, it turns out to be very back and forth. Captain Samuel Foster, who's one of the Texans, like during the Battle of Chickamauga, it had been the opposite, where mm-hmm. they were the ones doing the attacking and they were fired upon. So now these Texans are at the other end. And they're the ones firing on the Union. And this is how Foster describes the battle. See how they fall like leaves in the fall this time of year. Oh, this is fun to lie here and shoot them down and we will not get hurt. And that's exactly what happens. And they manage to beat them back. And then the Union manages to get, they do manage to get within 50 yards of the Confederate line. And that's when Smith asks Claiborne, can I counterattack? And Claiborne's like, knock yourself out do it. Smith ends up getting wounded. Hiram Granbury takes over his command. I think he was a member of the 7th Texas. That's part of this division. But then the Federals come back and some do make it over the rebel breastworks, but they're shot or taken prison. But the rebels lose a lot of men at this point too. And Granbury ends up having to deploy infantry to man the artillery. Like that's how bad it's getting for them. And then- Do you know that Granbury- has a town named after from Texas called Granbury that I've actually visited. Yeah. It's where I saw a tornado. Wow. We have it on the Cape a few days ago, an actual tornado. I know was you allegedly. Did. I was Remember getting real time updates from you. It's all about that. I did. Yeah. And, um, but I've been to the actual. So I, I digress. So it all goes back to the tornado. Yeah. But I think anyway. Granbury and Claiborne actually were very good friends too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they certainly were. I mean, but Claiborne, you mentioned he's the MVP. I mean, he's his line's going to get pressured. Uh, he's going to get pushed back a little bit. He's going to get ultimately reinforced with guys from Hardy and Stevens' division. Yeah. So finally around around 3, 4 p.m., give or take, Claiborne counters attacks. And this is when he actually sticks up to Sherman. Oh, yeah. Right? He just, he's like, SMD, fuck you. I know what he does. Get he off my him. lawn. He does. He does. Mm, he's so, he, he, so he ends up. He ends up routing Sherman, captures a 
about two thousand. There's about two thousand casualties, but they catch mostly a, a capture guys. But he's getting pushed back now. So again, this is the great debate. This is the North versus the South writing philosophy. Okay. Yeah. And I'll ask you, and I know the answer to this, but this is a good question for you, Mary. Okay. Yeah. Claiborne beats the living redheaded piss out of Sherman. Absolutely. Okay? Is it a case of Sherman making a mistake? Or is it Claiborne being that good in this in this moment? Sherman was outgeneraled. This is more Claiborne being great versus Sherman being bad, is what, I'm, is what you're saying, right? I think that, okay, so Sherman did make a mistake in where he was at Billy Goat Hill and then not doing an attack the night before. Claiborne, despite being outnumbered mm -hmm. four to one, and we're going to talk closer to the end of this episode about another instance where Claiborne is outnumbered. He's that just wrinkle gap. Yeah. <laughs> he's just able to just somehow make it happen to get his men yeah. to, to do no... what they to do what they need to do. Like at one point, so mm -hmm. the the fighting is so intense. There's one point where Claiborne is actually he's helping out with artillery during the battle. Because well, it gets so they, intense and he They wrote in the Confederate journals afterwards that he led the attack by himself, someone wrote. Oh yeah, he I was think, always I out think front. there's no wrong answer with this. I was just curious because you're a Sherman gal and you're a Claiborne gal. So that's one you yeah. expect no, to see. Was, which one he was out general. This is the battle that actually got me into Claiborne because I wanted mm -hmm. to find out who this guy was that out generaled him. There's a really good quote from Claiborne when the Federals are within 25 yards of his line. Claiborne said that it was like one continuous sheet of hissing, firing lead. All you could hear oh. was the mini balls going by you. That was it, and that's how he described the sound. Because then that's how close he was to this battle. Like he's right he, he, there in the thick of it. Was. We'll be talking about Claiborne and Franklin, unfortunately, here next time. Yeah, and that's we'll about it now. like yeah. his downfall. But I think you're right. I think I think this is a case of brilliance by Patrick Claiborne. Yep. Versus, because that I don't want to take anything away from Claiborne. That saying saying that Sherman had a shitty day is like saying Claiborne wasn't that great and just beat a beat a guy when he was down. I think mm -hmm. he was. I think he would have beat anybody that day. But a yeah. couple of things about Sherman to keep in mind about this, right? He kept five of his brigades in reserve at this battle. Okay, that's in, re in reserve. He also kept he also kept three back with him back on the ridge. He fought Claiborne with thirty percent of his army, which is inexplicable why he did that. But I think it wouldn't have really mattered. Who knows? This is why I kind of think he was expecting an attack. And he wanted to maintain a defense back by the headquarters in our orchard. I don't know. I mean, I'm just trying to think. I don't know. I'm wondering if it's because he made a mistake and it's just one of those things where he was like, oh, fuck. And he just, I, I don't know if he knew what he was up against with Claiborne. And I mean, he's going to face off against Claiborne at, at Kennesaw as well. Where the worst action is seen for the Union Army at Kennesaw, as we'll talk about mm -hmm. in the anniversary of that battle, is where Claiborne is. His men are, I don't know, something about Claiborne. His men were able to just, they fought and fought and fought. We were talking couple hours ago, actually, about Sherman, how he didn't really like the front assaults, really. Yeah. At least, at least didn't just, he struggled, obviously, at Kennesaw, got drilled there. He got pounded here pretty good. And he was more of a flank and run type guy. He's, I always thought of Sherman, and he has a reputation of being some sort of, in the South, they look him up as a different way. But he's not a big puncher. He strikes me as a Mayweather type of guy where he's kind of running, jabbing and moving, jabbing and moving, that type of general, maybe on a boxing type of metaphor. I just don't think he liked to attack the front end guys, but who knows what, what it was. And But regardless, on this day, Claiborne really is the one who kind of saved the day. And I think, you know, not jumping to the end, but Claiborne is definitely the MVP of the South. He is in this. They've got him, like he's outnumbered four to one in this in this part of Missionary Ridge. And there's another part we're going to get to very soon, which is ultimately what wins the battle for the Union Army. But like Claiborne here is, I think this might have been one of the toughest fights that Sherman ever had. Sherman talking about this in his memoirs, when you know the background to it, 
the way he talks about it, he says mm-hmm. it was like glorious and everything else. It's like, dude, you got out generaled. I mean, sometimes you get beast, right? The battle's not lost, but he did not do well at this part of it because of who he's, it's who he's up against. I mean, you could be really good and still get beat. I mean, look yeah. at the 2020 Patriots, friggin' Cam Newton. But, you know, but, but that's the whole thing is that sometimes you have a bad day, but sometimes, you know what, sometimes the other guy wins. And this is a case I think Claiborne does get him. So you kind of dropped a, a serious segue into George Thomas in the middle of the line just a second ago. So I suppose we should probably get to that. Yeah. And to your point, which you very astutely said, Mary, <laughs> this is where the battle is won. And this is really yeah. where I think a better Confederate game plan holds him a little bit. This is where Bragg fucks up. Capital B Bragg right yeah. here. And so but, go ahead. I was going to say, and this is also shows that much like Chickamauga, that this this <laughs> part of the battle anyway is very much a soldier's battle. Yeah. Grant and Thomas are not really issuing – I mean, they've issued orders, but the soldiers have a fuck this moment. Well, I, I, don't really, I think it's, it's partly fuck this. It's partly like I don't know what we're supposed to freaking do, but Nobody it sounds knew. good. Right. See, I this this part of the battle, there's something going on with Grant and Thomas. There clearly is. Tom, he's he's they're pissed off. Grant's pissy at Sherman. Thomas is something going with 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 Grant. Grant's apparently mad at everybody. George Thomas is going to basically be the center of the line. So I think of the Missionary Ridge. So this is you know they're right in the middle now, and he's going to have his his division. He's going to have Absalom Baird. He's going to have Wood. He's going to have Sheridan. He's going to have Johnson. He's going to have all his strong guys right down that line going right down there. Go up against guys like Walker and Cheatham's guys, Anderson, Bates, Stewart. That, he's going up against those Confederates. So you got pretty good armies in the field. But here's where Bragg makes a mistake. He puts his breastworks and his cannon on the top, the peak of this of Missionary Ridge, the peak. He doesn't put on what's called the military slope, which is just down the front side. He puts them on top where the soldiers are silhouetted. Yeah. They're easier targets. But then he puts the rifle pits on the bottom, and he creates that gap. And you talk about any Civil War battle, there's a reason why you put skirmishers out because you want to cut that gap. You want to limit the gap. And so he leaves an entire gap out there. Grant's going to want to send Thomas. He's going to want to send Wood and Sheridan right off the bat. He's going to want to send them right against Bate and Anderson, right against the middle of that Confederate line. Thomas hates the plan, hates it. Because he wants to wait, as I mentioned before. He's waiting for he, Hooker. He's waiting for Hooker. Like many people I know, they're waiting for Hooker. You know, he's going to wait. Who oh, is sorry. Darren Weeks or, on a Friday night? <laughs> or, um, or, ooh. Anyway, okay, whatever. Hey. Fake news. I was going to say, fake I was gonna say a, com- a companion, like that TV show. Yeah, right? companion, like Firefly. Yeah. Fake news. He's fake news. <laughs> Like, can you imagine me? No way, God's sake. Like, <laughs> anyway, so Thomas hates the plan. Thomas is his nooks and crannies are not happy. <laughs> okay, to say the least. He ain't he is not happy. So he um he wants Hooker to wait until he gets until he hits that left flank. So he tells Hooker, and this is where he kind of goes away from the Grant plan. Grant's mm-hmm. wants him demonstrating staying up there. He tells Hooker to advance to a place called Rossville, which is the south yeah. end of Missionary Ridge. And he wants him to go there. And begin causing problems because he wants to pull soldiers, guys like Breckenridge's guys. He wants to keep them south. So you got conflicting orders. They all poor Hooker in this moment. What the hell? I just have this great victory. Now I got a dueling generals I got to deal with. Yeah, that's so, the, like what are they up there? Like maybe someone should hand the two of them a ruler. <laughs> I think Hooker wins. He's a Boston guy, Mary. <laughs> I think he wins. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> so, while this is all going on, by the way, the Rebs can see the entire Union movement from the ridge because they're up high. They can see everything. They can yeah. see all these guys moving. So fast forward to about 3 p.m. now. Grant orders Thomas to have Gordon Granger, one of his major generals, to take those rifle pits we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Go, go get the pits. Go get them. Gordon Granger, you know what he does? He ignores them. He says, fuck this. He pulls out his fuck this card and says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Right. So Grant's like, you fuck. So Grant gets pissed. Grant actually physically goes over to him and yells at him, or as you say, pulls a strip off him. Remember that phrase you always say? It's a terror strip. Terror strip off him. Okay. Tears a strip off him. So he reluctantly at this point, Gordon Granger is going to say, you know what? Fine. This guy's, he's the boss. He's going to send Thomas Wood. He's going to send Sheridan. He's going to send Absalom Beard. He's going to send Richard Johnson. To attack. So this is four divisions. You're talking about 23, 25,000 guys. Yep. You're getting, a, you're getting a lot of people in there going up against 20 Rebs who are entrenched in breastworks and in rifle pits, the center of the line. These are Cheatham's guys. These guys, these are Hinman's own guys, Breckenridge and Stewart. So these are, these are, these are good dudes here. This is not, you know, this is not the, uh, amateur hour, as they say. And so they do. You know, fast forward 3.30, 4 o'clock right yep. on there. Now it gets confusing. They don't know what to do. They don't know. Okay, they're going to get to the rifle pits. But when they get there, they realize because of that gap, they're right in the target of the, the cannon. Yeah, and they don't know. There's 9,000 holding these rifle pits. And they're like, well, fuck this. If we stay here, we're going to get blasted all to hell. So then they just are like, fine, let's do it. They start. Do you know how many, can- how many cannon they had up there, Mary? How many? They had 100 cannon. A hundred. The Rebs had a hundred cannon on the on the peak, the crest of Missionary yeah. Ridge. You're sitting there, okay. You're you're a soldier in that rifle pit. You take that rifle pit and you look up and you see these cannons firing on you. Yeah, no thanks. But where it gets confusing is all the generals we mentioned, they didn't know what they were supposed to do. Like they didn't know Grant allegedly, or I guess he I guess he wanted them to stay there, to stay yeah. in those rifle pits. Yeah, he he did. There's that great story about how when the, the Union guys caught, finally got the rifle pits, they're chanting Chickamauga. Yeah, Chickamauga. 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 You know, this is my untapped line. Uh, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I didn't. yeah, that's why. Untapped, you drink on occasion. So, so, so Grant is sitting at his headquarters in Orchard Knob. Okay. Yeah. And he can see what's going on. And what does he see? He sees soldiers starting to climb the friggin' ridge. And he's like, and now what? he's getting mad again. Like, well, I didn't order them to do that. So then he he asked Thomas, then Granger, who'd given those orders, and each guy is like, I don't fucking know what's going on. And then Granger replied, When those fellows get started, all hell, oh, hell can stop. can't stop them. So and then Grant's, sit, Grant's sitting there like the dude who wants to go to the drive-thru and they fucked you and gave you pickles and onions. You asked for a plane. He's sitting there mad because this isn't what I asked for. This is not what I asked for. And, <laughs> and so he basically gives he, – he reluctantly gives permission to Wood to go ahead and try to take the ridge. But other generals, he's giving other orders not to take the ridge. So they don't know what the hell to friggin' do. Yeah, they just took matters and, like, you know, when you're – I mean, the way I, I liken it to, so you've taken these rifle pits. There's a hundred cannons above you. What? <laughs> Not that I just put my drink on top of just brush me in the face. Anyway. Okay. Anybody watching the video will have witnessed weak. You missed your opportunity to sit the line. That's what she said. <laughs> you, never, you never miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I encourage you to watch the video this week, especially to see weeks get splashed in the eye, apparently. You're going to see me dance on the live on Saturday. I danced in the 
podcast last week too. You, you sang a little bit too. A little bit, yeah. Um. Anyway, so back to our episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm one of those Union soldiers and I've just taken the rifle pits and I'm looking up and seeing a bunch of cannon, I'm going to be like, why are we just staying here? Why right. don't we just keep going? And by doing that, this is why the battle is won because the soldiers basically take it into their own hands. And that's mm-hmm. why I think this entire, you know, everything from Chickamauga to these battles is a soldier's battle for whatever reason, be it the terrain, be it, I mean, the one thing that seems to be the theme in these battles is the the clusterfuck that is communication. I think it's one of these ones that shows, and you and I talked about this before, you know, regarding Nongrass Hill. Does Thomas deserve all that credit or do we need to give more of it to those soldiers that decided to go there on their own without orders? Oh, you're going you're gonna to mad at me when I say this, Mary, but I think it's the soldiers in Snodgrass Hill. He wasn't even there. Thomas right? was in Snodgrass Hill? No, but he he backed off. He Thomas had moved back away towards Chickamauga, right? More towards right. Ch- Chattanooga when it ended, right? So when yes. they finally sealed the deal, he wasn't even there. I'm going to give it to the soldiers. Put well, that I'm giving it to the smoke. soldiers here too, which is which is, you know, I think really good. Yeah. We'll discuss I mean, that next year, though, about Thomas Snodgrass Hill. You know, but to your point, I mean, there's some great stories. Ivan Turchin, the mad Russian yeah. there. Yeah. You know, he's he, he says, screw this. They go up the hill. They're going right up the ridge. Some of Absalom's Baird's guys, they get halfway and stop for whatever reason. That they're told to halt by somebody. They just don't know it. There's a really good, well, I say good story, but there's a really messed up story with a guy named George Wagner. Mm-hmm. who he gets halfway up. They get orders to turn and stop and come back. And then as soon as they turn their back, they get pounded in their back by the rebels. They get 20%, 20% casualties, uh, which is the highest of any brigade in this charge wow. by getting pounded in the back. Yeah, so ultimately the Union Army, because of what happens here with these soldiers making these decisions at the lower rifle pits, they end up sweeping the, the rebels from, from Missionary Ridge. They get all the way to the top. They finally make the breastworks. And now you're going to see this mass exodus by the Confederates. They, yep. Guy August Willich gets up there, William Hazen, um, Charles Harker. They, they finally get up there. They flood the breastworks. And at that point, they're in full control. So picture this moment. They get up there, and the Rebs are in full retreat. You know, you're driving away guys like William Bates' division. You're driving away Anderson's division. The, the Cheatham's old division, they're routed. State's rats. He, yeah, he has to retreat. Is there. He escapes. Claiborne, obviously, Stevenson. They they all escape. They'll they'll take off. We'll talk about Claiborne here in a second, but the retreat yeah. here in a minute. But you gotta think this is a big, big deal for the Army of the Cumberland right now. They win a, a frontal assault against a formidable entrenched army up a hill and they get they get it. That's pretty that's that doesn't happen that often in the Civil War. It really yeah. doesn't. Not without oh. crazy casualties, you know. So by six PM on the 25th of November, the Bragg's line is completely borken. It's completely destroyed. They're running and they're fleeing in panic. They're, they're taken off. They're, you know. Yeah, they go um, back to toward Chickamauga Station on the Western Atlantic yep. Railroad, which in mm-hmm. modern day is currently the site of Lovell Airfield. And then on um, November 26th, they begin retreating toward Dalton, Georgia. The only army who, or general who's, who's really not in disarray is Claiborne, right? Yeah. He's the last to withdraw. He's the last last one there, but he doesn't run in a panic. He 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 stays in order. Phil Sheridan's going to try to chase after him, but nighttime comes and he, the light, street lights came on. His mother called him home, so he had to go back. I can just see that like five foot four guy. Phil, come on, <laughs> come on, <laughs> five foot four Claiborne, like you fuckers, get back. Oh, the other, 
all the other kids are staying out. So Sheridan's going to pursue, and eventually that, that's pretty much going to be how that's going to end up missionary writ. I feel like we still going to give a little credit to, to Hooker here, though, and explain what he did. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, while this is going on, so he's going to go to Rossville Gap, and he, he gets there eventually, but he's delayed. Because he's walking down the mountain. The Confederates have burned all the bridges. And so he he gets there and this thing, no bridge. He can't cross. So he's got to build a bridge. It takes a few hours to do. He can't take his guns or his wagons across the bridge because the bridge is shit. It's not going to hold him. So he has to leave them behind. Finally gets there around 3.30. But he gets there right at that moment, though, when Thomas's guys are really starting to get hot with them. So he's trying to pull soldiers down. You're talking about guys like Holtzclaw, who are going to stay south because they have to deal with, with Gary and Cruft and, and yeah. Osterhaus, who are coming up against them on the north. So he, so Hooker is successfully pulling. And this is where this is where Thomas is really good, though, because he was wise enough to know that he was going to be able to pull soldiers south. And would it have mattered? Probably not, because they were all running. But it was just enough to see another, another army coming. So... You know, Osterhaus, you know, he's, he comes east of Missionary Ridge. Uh, Croft is going to come over the Ridge Center. And then Geary's going to come over the western face. They catch 700 of Holtz, um, Holtzclaw's guys. Just catch them. Yep. So at the end of the day, I think, you know, you want to talk about MVPs? I think I have to give him the MVP for the North, Mary. I think yep, I have I, to. I think Hooker definitely gets the MVP for the North as well. Like honorable mentions go to Thomas J. Wood, who's at Missionary Ridge. Yeah. I think you got to give you got to give the Sheridan to a little bit too. Yep, Sheridan, Thomas J. Wood, and Wood is really kind of redeems himself. I mean, it wasn't really. I I don't really blame him for the whole breakthrough thing at Chickamauga because things were such a clusterfuck that day. Mm-hmm. But on the Confederate side of things, the one name that is you know he's the one that gave them a hell of a time was Claiborne. Yeah, no, Cla- Claiborne is the one who you know we talked about many many of these podcasts about his Emancipation Proclamation thing he did. Perhaps it's the Irish thing, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, he is that ace pitcher in the bullpen. They just don't put in. They let him. They just don't give him the opportunity. And he, when he does, he seems to succeed. He's a guy. I think he's very underrated. He's, he's yeah. the most underrated Confederate general by far. Oh, we've he talked is. about guys like Albert City Johnson and guys like that. But Claiborne lived up until Franklin, right? Yeah. And he had success every step along the way. So yep, he did. And he was know. a soldier and he followed orders. And it's quite evident at this battle that he is with his men. Like if you're able to hear what the battle sounds like in that much detail, you're out there with your men. I mean, he's out there with the artillery, like ordering them what to do right there. And that was like, they say that was his downfall. He's a lot like John Reynolds in that way. Like he is a man who puts himself out with his men, you know, and we saw that with Lytle. Chickamauga as well. He's out there with his men and it gets mm-hmm. him killed. It gets Reynolds yeah. killed and it's going to get Claiborne killed too. You know, had Claiborne fought for the North, which he very well could have because he lived in Cincinnati for a while. Who knows? He, he could have done it. I mean, at the end of the day, Bragg is going to be heading to, you know, uh, towards Chickamauga, ultimately to, to Dalton, Georgia. Yeah. Well, I know we'll talk about Ringgold here in a minute, but, but I think before we get to that, we can look at the, the big picture of Chattanooga, which is the overall deal. You know, the number of total casualties. I know you like to talk casualty numbers because you get some morbid fascination with those. I don't have morbid fascination <laughs> with those. I don't even have them in front of me I'm right now. <laughs> I think, I think, I think Missionary Ridge, you're talking about about 6,000 U.S. and about yeah. 7,000 Confederates. And for this part of the battle, it's about even, yeah. but it's a full mass retreat. It's a huge win for the Union. You know, there's that really great story afterwards with General Thomas where he, they're burying the rebel dead after this battle. Mm-hmm. Some clergy guy yep. says, 
do we bury them? Do we, you want to bury these guys by their states? And he goes, he goes states mix, rights. mix them up. I'm tired of states' rights. Yep. You know, which is a pretty cool line. Um, states' rights just is probably like, what did I do? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's pretty cool. But I think because of this battle, now the union controls the entire state of Tennessee. Yeah. They, they got it, right? It's going to set up Sherman's eventual launching pad to, to, to march to the sea. Yep. Right, for the most part. It's going to be Grant's last win in the in the West because he's going to go east on after this. So, so there's a lot of significant issues specifically about that battle. I think Chattanooga is, in, in, is, is huge for a million different reasons. I think there's so many things about this battle. It's the only time the South ever sieged a Union army, yep. right? In the battles, for the only time they ever did it, you know, it was it was the only time the Union Army was really starved out, mm-hmm. right? And they came, it was and they really came close to surrendering, if not for that cracker line that we talked about last yep. week. Yep. So you want to play the what if game? It was the largest charge during the war. Mm-hmm. You know, you're twenty twenty some thousand, twenty five thousand guys, and the other one is Pickett's charge at Gettysburg is only fifteen thousand guys. So that that's pretty significant as well. And, and, and so, and, and the, the other thing that comes to mind with 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 Chattanooga is, and they they talk about this later on, like with the, the there was a reunion I think in nineteen thirty, I think there was. Um, I was reading yep. about where they still didn't know who the hell was giving the order to go up the ridge. They still don't know. No, I think it was just you know? something that they were like, we we just have to, to do this, which again goes back to it. To me, it's a soldier's battle. You know, yeah. the, the other thing too that is significant about Chattanooga is now the Union, as you said, they have Tennessee now. But because they have Tennessee and because they're right on the Georgia border, they can start making their way to Atlanta. Like without this, like Sherman would not be able to, to advance to Atlanta. This is a huge thing for them now that they finally have this. And even though the 1864 election is still a year away, this still is going to factor into it mm-hmm. because of the whole Atlanta thing. So again, it's like these these stepping stones that have to happen for other things to happen, and that's why all this this all these things are important to discuss when we're talking about the Civil War, and to look at them in more detail, like we looked at in detail last week at Brown's Ferry, Wahatchee, Orchard Knob, to see how this leads the way for this battle to happen. You know, Lookout Mountain can't happen without Osterhaus. And look at look, I mean, Lookout Mountain. You want to talk about what ifs? And we could talk about Grant versus Hooker all you want. We've already kind of done that. Yeah. But I mean, you know, what if the Confederate lines held? What if they kept them off the mountain, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, a la 20th Maine. How would that have changed the campaign? The Rebs are rolling rocks down the hill with these guys. This, oh, yeah. This point. And, you know, and too, and that the, actually happened at Missionary Ridge as well. There was yeah. one point where, where Claiborne's men were rolling these large bold, like just launching these boulders down at them. Like they were doing everything that they possibly could. You know, what if Sherman had attacked Claiborne the day, like on the 24th, yeah. when the Texans were spread out so thinly and Claiborne didn't his, have his lines placed how they were? I mean, I would say, like, what happened to Sherman was a defeat for that part of the battle. Mm-hmm. But because of what happens over at the other part of Missionary Ridge, it's a victory. Yeah, very, very much so. I mean, absolutely. No, there's no question about that. You know, um, the other thing... That, we kind of we talked about before is Grant's opinion of Hooker and the the impact of Lookout Mountain, and yeah. that's the one thing that's kind of tough to swallow, I think, because there was a, there was a quote by a guy named Levi Levi Ross. He was the eighty fourth Illinois, yeah, and he was there, and he wrote. He said, after listening all day to the roar of the cannon and the rattle of musketry, it is a wonder that every man who was there is not was not sent to attorney that day, right? So. 
the soldiers who were there realized what a life and death battle that was. Mm-hmm. And for the commanding general to come back and just kind of blow it off. Oh, that is just, it's, and I would encourage everybody to read, um, again, I mean, I talked the hell about this book, Smoke at Dawn by Jeff Shara, because there's one of the soldiers in that book, um, his name's Dutchie. He fights at Lookout Mountain, and it's horrific. Like so what he passed him on the what... left hand side of that battle, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I knew that was going to come from that one. Uh, but no, one. but no, but no. It's it's an account of what, a, like, it was. It not a big battle, but it's still a battle. It's not a demonstration. It's not a skirmish. It's a battle, and that's like Jeff Shara makes that quite clear in in his book the smoke at dawn and i i I do believe it is a battle but the final battle that wraps up this chattanooga campaign it doesn't always fall under the umbrella of the chattanooga campaign i think it does because it is ultimately when the rebels have gone is the battle of wrinkled gap which is again it's a smaller battle like lookout mountain it happens on november the 27th it is just hooker versus claiborne there are twenty thousand two hundred troops engaged here so you think Oh, that's a pretty big battle. It must be evenly matched. It's not. 16,000 are Union, 4,200 are Confederate. So Claiborne has been basically told by Bragg, dude, you are protecting us as we retreat. Work your magic, do your shit. Whatever you do, whatever you've done to protect us before. This is not the first time that Claiborne's been put in this position. And he's been put in this position because he's good at it. He's good at protecting the rear. No, absolutely. And so he's, you know. he manages to do that. He does it through basically similar tactics to what Buford will use at Gettysburg. So he makes it look like he has more men than what he has. Right. At the end of the battle, as he's retreat, as his most of his men are leaving, he's left out a skirmish line, but he's made it look like there's more there. Before they leave, he tells his men, light a bunch of fires. They light these fires to make the Union Army think that they're camping there. But Claiborne manages to to hold the ground. And Hooker's forces are committed piecemeal to this battle. But still, like, I mean, you're still outnumbering them however however much. But, like, just Claiborne basically just leaves skirmishers in his front. He pulls back. He, he burns the railway bridge once the Confederate train is across it. He takes many casualties. Like, Hooker actually takes... Hooker takes 432 casualties, Claiborne takes 480, and Hooker falls back to Chattanooga. And because of this tough defense that Claiborne has at Ringgold Gap, the Confederate Army survives to fight another nine months in Georgia. Well, so you think about it, what an opportunity the Union missed. I mean, how long was the war extended because Claiborne threw that speed bump on him right there? Oh, yeah. For the what-if game? I mean, they could have got bagged right there. And that's not Lee, and we know it's, it's, it's – but it's a big army, though. What happens if if Grant gets them? And they wipe, exactly. they take out that entire army of the Tennessee. They're all taken off the, off the chessboard. Yep. So you can arguably say that Claiborne's actions at Ringgold Gap extended the war for probably at least a year. Oh, they, they – right? yeah, and they could have. And get this. So 16,000 Union, 4,200 Confederate – they fight for five hours and Hooker's sending his men in piecemeal. So you think about how many hours Claiborne's men had to stay fighting, firing their, their guns versus Hooker's. Like it's a it's, terrible it's, thing. It's, like it's, but it's crazy to think about that, how tough mm-hmm. those men were in doing that. And yeah, you're and, right. You do raise a good point. If Claiborne's men had broken 
and the union had got through. That's game set match. They, they could have been Tennessee. done. They could have been done. Army of Tennessee, I mean, they've done deal. And if who, they had who, got, if they had burned, if they had got to that train before it got across that bridge, yeah. you know. And, and who, who ultimately, who it comes down to who comes on a Claiborne and it comes down to Hooker, the ones who pretty much made names themselves at the Battle of Chattanooga. Yep. And Hooker is, admittedly, he is outgeneraled here again. Mm-hmm. You know, he's outgeneraled by Claiborne. But the unfortunate thing about Ringgold Gap is this is what overshadows Lookout Mountain as well as what Hooker does at Rossville Gap. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate. It's kind of like, you know, the ghost of Chancellorsville hanging over Howard as well as Hooker. You know, you have to, I think, look more to Hooker's achievements at this. And then if you look at what Claiborne did, the day, like, you know, two days prior at Missionary Ridge, and then here, he's he's a talented well, general. Mary, you just need Ted Turner, Ted Turner to make a movie about Ross, you know, about Hooker, yep. <laughs> Rossville Gap. And then you got it. Then he's the most famous guy in the world. So that's all you got to do. But I think the I think the moral of the story is when you look at the big picture. This is a good two week thing we did here. A yeah, good like two week episode. It could have been a threesome. It could have been a threesome, but someone always gets mad when you do that. So you know, full <laughs> Axel Rose quote. But I mean, if you if you do the big picture, you look down right. You got the Union, who was literally on the cusp of being pushed off the cliff, right? Yeah. If they don't break up that su- that supply line, the cracker line. So you talk about about Bronze Ferry, you talk about everything that happened, and you talk about Hooker taking a look on Mountain. You talk about Sherman having getting beaten by Claiborne, Thomas, his guys doing what he did. At the end of the day, the Union's going to win. And it's going to be a pretty significant win coming off of the Chickamauga loss. And they needed to have that. It's just one of those things you had to have. You think about the what-ifs. We talk about extending the war. What if they didn't open the cracker line? How yeah. long was the Union going to – how long was that army going to last in Chattanooga when they were exactly. down to six days' rations? Right? Right? Who knows? So Exactly. Again, there's so many – so, so many games you can play, and I know that people don't like to play the what if game. I think they, people who I think know. people who listen to our podcast, though, as was evidenced by the awesome roundtable we had last week, like they like to play the what if game because we usually have a bit of a discussion about that in our. Planning. What if I had another drink? Go ahead. Um, the one thing I just want to say before we wrap up here um, is so you look at Claiborne's performance here. What if he had been in charge at Atlanta? Now that I've looked at these again, like look at he he was aggressive, but he was smart. Yeah. He he wasn't over aggressive like Hood was at Atlanta. He wasn't under aggressive like Johnston was. He would have been just right. Now, could he have withstood Grant and Sherman full blast? Probably not. They didn't have the guns, literally and figuratively. But he but would have he... given them a hell of a fight, and that's all he wanted exactly. to do at Missionary Ridge. I mean, Claiborne knew the reality at Missionary Ridge. That he, he was would've... not going to win that battle, but he was gonna or he was going to give Sherman the fight of his life. And that's exactly what he did. He would have got the game into the fourth quarter. To me, he's a football phrase. Yeah. And who knows what would have happened. He would have had a puncher's chance to, to probably win. You know, Jones brought all that stuff happened the way it did. It, who knows what would have happened. Clearly, and you're 100% right, so you can write this date down. You were 100% right that he would have done better than Hood did. But then again, a drunken monkey would have done better than Hood did in Atlanta. It, I mean, he would have. I mean, that, that was such a disaster for the Confederacy. It, it was. Oh, and, yeah, it totally, he, he totally was. Extrabit, you know, extrabated the, the whole thing. And Franklin, we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, but we're this Hood's coup de grace with that whole thing we'll talk about. But I think at the end of the day, most people who study the Civil War focus on the East and not the West. But we've kind of slowly turned more our eyes towards the West, Mary, right? Yeah, I think we'd we like have. to talk about yep. this morning a little yep. bit. Or have you gone Western theater, our lonely eyes turn its eyes to you? 
you know, and that's kind of what we've done though. But I think this is, this is really where the war ultimately really, this is the meat and potatoes of the war mm-hmm. versus the East was more of the flash. You know, Antietam was different. That had a lot more I mean, Antietam is the most important battle of the civil war. And right. As but we, as Gettysburg, and Gettysburg is, is, is Gettysburg. And it's a little, I don't want to say a little overrated, but it's a little, it's, mm. it's, it's, I think militarily. Oh, wow. You heard no, it no, here but, first. No, we, I think it's a little overrated. No, I meant militarily. Yeah. <laughs> Psychologically and politically, it was absolutely not. I absolutely agree. Okay. But militarily, there was ground to hold. As soon as the battle ended, they all, they both armies left. There was yeah. nothing. So it wasn't Antietam, but it wasn't Chattanooga. They weren't fighting to control a river or a state or anything militarily. I think at the end of the day that I think Chattanooga, after Antietam, is the most important battle of the Civil War. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. That it definitely was. I mean, Chickamauga, and I Chickamauga I'm, sets the stage. I was saying, I'm, putting, I'm putting Chickamauga in yeah. with it. I'm going to pair them together, okay? So we go chit-chat, right? Yeah, that's chit-chat. <laughs> chit-chat. I think, I think Chattanooga, I think for all the variables we talked about at the end of the day, that one is going to prove to be the biggest battle in the West. Yeah. And I think after Antietam, and you could throw in Vicksburg, and I don't want to hear your Vicksburg stuff because you can email Mary. I don't want to hear it, okay? But Vicksburg is important too. But but I, I think this one, this one, the Union came close. It came close to getting yep. beat. It really, really did. Can you imagine if Braxton Bragg beat Grant? Oh, God, that's humiliating. I don't right? know. Yeah, yeah, no. That's not the Indians winning. Fucker. <laughs> No, but um, but this thing off. But 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 it's, but I'll seriously, I won't winding down. But I think I think the reality is you can't underestimate. And I would invite anybody to read as much as you can about Chattanooga because I oh, think yeah. if you do, if you honestly do, hopefully you learned something from this and had some fun with this because we had a great time doing this one. Oh, yeah. I think if you really do, you'll come with a real fascination and a real appreciation for guys like Claiborne, guys like Hooker, dare I say. And I think you'll come away with this with a real good worldly three sixty view. Of the mm-hmm. entire war as the West transforms to the East, I, I think yeah. I think it's a great study. Yep, and I think on our Facebook Live we will discuss like what sources we used for this. But yeah, so we will be doing. We're gonna wrap up now, I think, because we're almost at um, an hour and a half of discussing this. <laughs> so this is gonna be our longest episode, which is fine. We hope you've um, enjoyed it. But we will be around for our usual Facebook Live around 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. So we'll put a bow on this one. Hey, and we will. Um, <laughs> finish this one up so coming attractions we always do coming attractions at the end yeah. of every episode so we will again have our facebook live at 10 a.m be there be square yeah. on saturday so definitely do that next week we are doing franklin right? i think we're probably going to do franklin next week okay yeah. i think i think Over we are okay battle, right? franklin, I gotta, yeah. keep, gotta ask the boss these questions i don't sometimes i forget <laughs> it's on the calendar uh, again i don't know i can't access the calendar yeah we've got so we've got franklin coming up we've got fredericksburg wrapping up the march to the sea which will probably i'm gonna guess do a two-parter on that because we'll wrap up the march to the sea but then i think we're probably going to talk about the memory behind it as well and just some of the um, the perceptions that last to the day you mean yes (laughs) that book i bought you for your birthday well thank you so much for that yes i'm looking forward to read it mary that's a a different kind of book enabling but i appreciate it and it will definitely be be one of my my prized treasures It'll be perfectly splendid reading that book, and I'm going to look forward to that. So. Any final words from you across the border? No, nope. thanks for everybody for tuning in to our episode and all your support so far for these 15 weeks we've been at this. 15 weeks, holy moly. So, but in any case, we will look forward to talking to you next time. So again, be at the live uh, if you can. Always have fun with that, and we will 
be staying west next week, going to Franklin. We'll talk about the demise of Patrick Claiborne, unfortunately. Yeah. Mary's gonna be very emotional. She'll be very teary. It'll be a tough one for her, but <laughs> but she'll get she'll get through it. We'll get her through it. So again, we appreciate the support. Thanks for all your good comments and support, and we will look forward to seeing you at the live on Saturday, and then we'll the next recording. Yeah. Right. See you guys later. Peace out, everybody. Yep. Yeah, bye. <laughs>